first two deals, I had to come to an agreement that I don't, I don't think it was a play for money. I think it was, a, it was an education is the way I look at it. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm excited to have Hamza Ali today joining us. Hamza, how are you doing today? I'm well, Todd. Thank you for having me. Doing really good. Awesome, awesome. Well, excited to have you on. A little bit about Hamza. He is a multifamily real estate investor and developer. Grew up in Dubai and immigrated to the U.S. in 2014. And you have a company called Gray Spear Capital based in Houston, Currently has a portfolio of, uh, right around a thousand units, and maybe it's changed since um, this bio. We can dive in more, of course, uh, but in the Houston and surrounding areas, and uh, you know you've got some cool stuff going on. So we'll dive into that. But before we do, uh, you have uh, a lot of strategies uh, that you're using. You're using innovative strategies to like maximize your investors' returns, also to benefit the communities that you're investing in. And uh, I guess with that, why don't you just let tell your story? So I'm not telling it. Yeah. Dig yeah. and dive in. Tell our listeners a little bit more about what you got going on. Sure. So I'll just start with a really brief uh, background. I moved to the United States uh, about six years ago. Um, and initially I moved to Southern California. I love that place. Dubai is a beach city for those of you who don't know. And I felt like Southern California very much related to um, that beach life, you know, that outdoors life. Um, so I moved there, hung out there for about eight months, realized it was way too expensive for me at the time to do business. Um, I didn't have that much money when I moved uh, and so somehow find, found myself in Houston, Texas, where the real estate was growing. I could definitely see that Houston, Texas was like a melting pot at the time. And that was so, so amazing for me to watch. You know, you walk into the mall, you hear like 20, 30 different languages. And, you know, this is a spot that, you know, an immigrant like me could very much relate to. So I just got started there, uh, found a small piece of land. I found four acres of land um, at a steal compared to anything that I could have, you know, uh, even looked at uh, in California, purchased a piece of land, um, developed my first real estate property, my first deal. Now, oh, so is, your first deal was a development deal? It was a development deal. Uh, How big? And it was a four acres. So I had 66,000 square feet of ground up development. Now, this is actually the expertise that I came with. So my expertise okay. is um, ground up development. I worked for one of the uh, six... Uh, the sixth largest developer in Dubai. So I had a lot of expertise um, in large scale development. I just didn't have the money, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I, I, I've seen things go from sand all the way to like beautiful skyscrapers. But so I had that expertise. Um, I just didn't have the equity to put in into my deals. And uh, so I, so I walk in, I bought that piece of land. I got it at a very discounted rate at the time in 2014. Um, and, uh, I walked into the bank and I told them, Hey bank, uh, I'm here. I'm from Dubai. Give me money. And they shot me down. And I was like, why, why are you guys shooting me down? Man? I have like, you know, I have equity. I bought this land. I paid cash for it. They're like, well, it doesn't work that way here in the U S right. You need two years of tax returns. You need to have a social security number. You need to have, uh, 
you know, uh, you need, there's criteria. It doesn't work. Uh, you can't just secure a loan just because you have a land. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And mind you, this was all the money I had at the time I had put into this <laughs> land. And so, and so I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh my God, okay. I just spent every dime I had on this piece of land. And this guy's telling me that he's not going to give me a loan. So I walk into a couple other banks, same story. There's a process. Um, give us your tax returns. And obviously me being an immigrant, um, yeah. I have no tax returns, right? Where am I going to bring them from? And that was kind of where I, I was pushed to the corner to syndicate. I figured out that, oh my God, okay. So if I have somebody else sponsor the deal for me who has a pulse uh, and a good credit score and a tax return, you know what? That'll do. So I went back to my first banker and I told him, listen, banker, uh, I don't have these things. Do you know someone I could talk to? And he's like, you know what? Actually, now that you say that, I may have a person who helps, uh, who helps cases in certain situations and he may be willing to talk to you. So I went down, I talked to this gentleman and he was more than happy um, to provide his credit uh, and his two years of tax returns for the project just because I had come up with an elaborative business plan as to what I saw happening at the time. Uh, exited that deal in 2015, no, 2017, sorry. So I, I built, I started construction on that deal in 2015, completed 16, filled it up, and 17, we exited that deal. And you wouldn't believe, man, we probably made 100% or maybe more on that ground up development, but guess how much I took home. Uh, not much, uh, but uh, <laughs> but in the process, better than uh, nothing, though, right? Better than nothing, absolutely. <laughs> better than nothing. Yeah. Uh, but in the process, I learned all about this fascinating structure that was syndication, and I did it not out of lust for equity. I actually did it just to get my business off just the ground, and and yeah. and I kind of accidentally jumped, you know, came came onto this process, and I didn't realize that there was a whole world of people out there. Um, you know, creating wealth and buying real estate um, through creating funds or syndications and whatnot. I just knew that, okay, if I partner up with someone who has a credit score, um, I'll be okay. Um, now, the good thing is that when I did exit that deal in 2017, I had accumulated that two years of tax returns, right? So I now, now I qualified to get yeah. my own loans and I didn't, and I didn't need um, a person to sign a key, a key principle to sign on my debt for me. And that is kind of how I stumbled upon real estate investing development and then later on jumped into acquisition uh and i i think that's just fascinating <laughs> yeah it, it is fascinating so did were you did you have like a full-time job also or like a run of business or was this it this was it this was it this was um i had all my eggs in one basket yeah. and this was the basket and yeah. if and it didn't work out <laughs> and I, yeah and if it didn't work out that's it i go back home right yeah uh so those were the, uh, those, th it was a really challenging time because, you know, at the same time, while I was running my business, I was also processing immigration and immigration um, for some of you who don't know is a very, very challenging process. Even, even before um, all the limitations that were put in the recent uh, years, immigration has always been um, very challenging. Uh, mm. I would, I would think, especially coming from the Middle East, coming from Dubai. Yeah. Interesting. Um, how many, so how many units was that development? The first one, the first one I developed was 66 and 66. it was, it was, it was actually a commercial development. So I didn't even start in multifamily. It was an office oh, wow. warehouse business plaza. Cause, um, I, I had come to the realization that if I build something quickly, um, and cost effectively, that's it. I'm going to get in, get out really quickly. Yeah. 
um, obviously what I didn't realize is when you take loans from banks, you know, there's a process, there's a draw process. Like draw there was, process. A, there, yes, yes, absolutely. There was a lot of learning, a lot of setbacks. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad <laughs> that I went through it very early on. Um, so I am prepared uh, for future, you know, in future projects, when I do a performer, I really know what I'm talking about because I have literally been through the entire process myself firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. What a cool journey. I mean, you, you come here, you got, you got whatever money you brought, but it's not like you came here with a high paying executive job or anything like that. And you just buy this piece of property and yeah. you had a plan, but that plan was totally <laughs> shot down right away yeah. from the start. And instead of just curling up or instead of going <clears throat> back and, or just selling that property, taking your loss and moving on, you figured out a way to do it. And even though you didn't strike gold on that first deal, it got you to where now you can take the next step forward. It got you the experience. It got you that trust. And now you're able to move forward. What, what did you do after that deal or maybe do, even during that? Deal? <clears throat> so during that deal, um, during that deal, I found a 24 unit apartment community. That was my first venture into the apartment world. So 2014, mm -hmm. I applied for the loan. I realized that, okay, we can syndicate, you know, I was learning all about the syndication process where we can get investors and types of funds. Um, I found this really attractive or so I thought at the time, really attractive 20, 24 unit apartment community. And uh, I went out and syndicated. I needed about $300,000 in equity, which I didn't have at the time. And so I decided that I'm going to talk to people uh, who had approached me during my construction uh, phase. So as I, was, as I was building up my office warehouses, the commercial projects, I, I somehow kept on stumbling on people who wanted to invest in it. And they were like, you know, Hamza, we would like to invest in this project. We think you're doing good work, uh, you know. And that is, I think, what stemmed up the courage for me to go and find other deals for them. In my mind, I think what was going on was that if I can find something, I feel like I have people who are credible enough and who will invest with me um, if I were to find something that was worthwhile. And yeah. so I found, I found this 24-unit uh, apartment community. It was not off-market. It was listed. It was through a broker. So I wasn't getting, I don't think I was getting what I would call the best deal. It was a deal, you know. And it was a deal out of multiple deals out there. And I just happened to be, I guess, the person who put it on the contract. And I started running and started talking to people uh, about this 24-unit apartment community. And I set up the syndication process. I went through, I hired an attorney, um, you know, went through the entire process. And as you would know, it, I exited that deal also in, I believe, 2018 or 17 with... Uh, with 100% cash on cash. I actually have the closing documents. I look at them every day uh, to remind myself of that first deal uh, that I did. And again, guess what? <laughs> the limited partners or the investors ended up making most of the money. And that's when I realized, you know what? I think, I think this is a good business model. Um, there's some money to be made, uh, but, but there has to be scale to this. I, I don't think the money is really made at this level of investment. I think I need to up the game a little bit. And that is when I, I kind of dive deeper into syndication and real estate investing and helping other people really invest their money while, um, while being able to value my time and you know grow the company and build the brand at the same time. And I think that was really 
uh, what drove me to do those things. I think my first two deals, I had to come to an agreement that I don't, I don't think it was a play for money. I think it was, a, it was an education is the way I look at it, right? Because um, as you know, investing in real estate, you have to look at least 10 years ahead because yeah. um, it's not going to be just one deal. You're going to try to do multiple deals, you know, as many as you can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, you're, you're starting these syndications, but you <clears throat> came from Dubai, come over here. Did you know a lot of people over here? Were your investors from Dubai? Like, how did you get people to invest with you? A lot of networking. Yeah. A lot of networking. Um, So they were from the people that were investing were from here. So what I learned is I I was under the impression that I'm going to call all my friends in Dubai. They're going to invest with me and it's going to be awesome. And we're going to have a great time because, you know, I'm in Dubai. People tend to have a lot of disposable income. Yeah. I felt, I felt almost like, ah, this is easy. I can do this. This is not a big deal. And you know, it's going to be a couple million dollars. I'm sure I can, I can fly back and, you know, talk to my buddies and convince some of them or their dads or whatever it is, you know, to lend me some money for some time. Um, And then quickly came to find out that there is regulation around that. Um, There's tax implications. And I have to like almost babysit not only the business, which is the investment, but also the investors Mm -hmm. uh, all the way to the finish line. And then as I I kept looking into that deeper, I realized that, I don't think this is a one-man operation. I don't think one person can uh, man and operate the investments and at the same time uh, man and operate investors and all the risks that come alongside with that. So I then, I then uh, shied away from people from Dubai and uh, I, I do have investors f- from Dubai still, but they are at the level to where I don't have to uh, report uh, like they have American investments existing and they have sure. representation here locally. Um, so I am able to take that money. However, taking money directly from like friends or family or whatever it is from Dubai, um, I, I don't, I realized that that was going to be more challenging and maybe a little bit um, somewhere further along the lines in the future. I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have done it back then. Um, what I did, what I did find is that my construction project helped me a lot um, while I was constructing what I was doing is I was just anybody I meet, I would meet them on my construction site and tell them, Hey, look, mm. this is what I'm doing. I'm, it's an indirect, uh, it's almost like an indirect sales approach right. is what I would call it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not looking to sell you anything today, but look at what I'm doing and yeah. look at what this is going to make. And, you know, I throw a number here and there, you know, I throw a two X return in two years yep. and that would kind of get, you know, everybody excited. And it was just something I had to do, I guess, at the time in order to steer up all this hype, right? And it was that one project and I would just keep taking people. And if I took people again, I would take them again in a, in a couple of months to show them the progress, right? Because it takes, it takes a couple of times for someone to warm up and you to be able to build that relationship where you ask people for money um, and they don't say, okay, I'm gonna think about it, right? Because um, for me, uh, my close rate in my company, my business is nine out of 10. So every 10 investors I talk to, I can close nine for whatever dollar amount it is that we are looking, you know, from that person. Now, the reason that is, is because we constantly uh, communicate and we are in the, you know, building relationship strategy. It's not, we're not looking to uh, find somebody. So we've turned down a lot of investors. Um, Somebody we feel like if they're putting their life savings into this fund, um, I, I will, I will not hesitate. Um, to tell them, hey, listen, you know what? I, I don't feel comfortable taking this much money from you. So uh, let's try this again in a couple of years and we'll, we'll assess the situation then, 
right? It's all about building relationships. And that is really kind of how all this came to be. Um, did I know anything about syndication or CPAs or accounting or law firms or liabilities? No, absolutely not. It's something I had to learn and build and place um, as, I, as I progressed in the business world. Um, was my English um, as good as it is today? Um, no, it was not. I still think in my, in my mother tongue and then process that. And then what, what rolls out of my mouth is a translation of what my mind processes, right? Um, and it's just something that um, I feel like you have to be really fast here, especially given the opportunities that we have. Uh, and if that is mean, the case. What do you mean by that? Expl explain that. You have to be really so, fast. <clears throat> so the multifamily space uh, is a very, very desired place to operate. Yep. Um, I believe the reason for that is because we have Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac debt. Yep. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac debt is so good that I don't think any other private, public, bank, uh, institutional lender can compete, right? You get these amazing IO terms, you get 30 years, you get low interest rates, and it's backed, right? And it's backed. It's not going anywhere. You know, when COVID first hit, everybody in my friend circle who was not in multifamily space was panicking. Yeah. Because, they're, they, because they didn't know what was going to happen. It's like, oh my God, my bank is going to come and they're going to foreclose on me and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. You know, all the multifamily guys were just sitting back and relaxing because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac released their guidelines so quickly. Now, the guidelines were not uh, good news, right? So they had these PIs and they had all these like operating expenses that they had built in to the loan. However, they were guide, guidelines, right? It wasn't like, hey, we're coming after your property, you know, because they didn't need to come after our property. Yep. The commercial guys were panicked. The CMBS guys, those guys were crying. You know, it's like, oh my God, I have CMBS debt. We have no idea what's going to happen. And CMBS, believe it or not, was non-responsive uh, for the first, like, I would say two weeks. So two yeah. weeks into this and people don't know what is going on. So the multi point being, the multifamily space is a very desired uh, uh, asset class. And I think it's only going to get... You know, I think there's going to be more people moving out of other spaces into the multifamily space just because the debt structure is just phenomenal, right? right. Um, so that being said, you have to move quick on deals. Once you look at a deal and it makes sense, uh, I, I am a believer that you do need to underwrite. Just don't over-underwrite, right? I've seen so many people in my office over-underwrite a deal to death, and then we can't make a move on it because somebody's over-underwritten it. Uh, Mm -hmm. and just overanalyze and, you know, it, overanalyze yeah, it. Yeah. Until the deal, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go so deep until the deal doesn't work. Right. You know, right. You uh, we, we, we have one person in our office, any deal you give him is going to die. <laughs> it's not going to make the cut, but uh, we love having him because he analyzes risk. Yeah. His, his history is based on risk analysis, yeah. right? So he looks at things that we may have overlooked and, and that's great. So it may not underwrite well. However, the risk factor is completely eliminated now because we've covered everything yep. um, that we needed to. You right? know what can go wrong. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, um, so that, that's all I mean by you have to act fast in the multifamily yeah. space. Yeah, for sure. You know, you, you were talking about raising money. I want to dive into that a little bit because I think that's really cool that you're able to come over here, you're able to raise money um, on these deals right away. And, and there's people that have been here their whole lives, have friends and family, obviously that are from here and don't have, they don't have that hurdle that you had yet. You're able to raise money and maybe they're not. 
Um, and you've already mentioned a couple of things, but maybe there's, there's more that you could mention. But I, I think one of the valuable things you said, and this was really valuable, and people need to listen to that again, so I want to say it, is you talked about not taking money from some people, right? You, you don't have to take money from anybody. And you don't want to take money from certain people. If there's a person that is stretching just to make your deal, it makes no sense, as you already said. Like, it just doesn't make sense. You can't take that money because they're just not going to be comfortable the whole time. And that's going to be uncomfortable for you, just a bad deal altogether. But when we're talking raising money, you know, you, you talked about the power of the, that networking. Um, maybe you could dive deeper into that. Are there any other strategies? Or are there any, any other unique approaches you take to raising money for your deals? Absolutely. So um, the first thing, I, I actually get asked this question a lot, like, how do you raise money? Right? That, that is a big hurdle for people. There's two things, I think, that really stop people from entering this business and succeeding in this business. Um, and they're both intertwined. One of them is raising money. Yeah. So either a person is going to look at it, look at the situation, assess the situation or her situation and say, hey, I want to be in real estate. But the problem is, where do I get the money? Right. Yeah, and now because exactly. they don't, because that's a hurdle for them and they can't get the money, they stop looking at deals. It's like, okay, I can't raise the money. There's no point in looking at deals. So, you know, I'm just going to sit here and figure it out. And they just, um, I feel like they just get stuck in that cycle where it's okay. I can't raise the money. So there's no point in looking at deals. So I can't raise the money. So there's no point in looking at deals and it just dies right there. And then the second thing is I can't find deals. Right. And the, and so they stop looking for money. It's like, oh man, it's, there's such a big barrier to entry. There's these 50 players in my market and they keep buying up all the stuff. There's no point of me looking at any deals. And so they never raise the money. They, they don't have anything to raise money for. Yep. And so they're, they're not raising money at any point in time. They, nobody knows that this person, this individual is actually out there hustling, looking for deals, trying to raise equity for those deals because they can't source the deal. Yep. Um, my, my, the way I, I would start is if I was a little younger today, um, I would say do not link these two things together. Um, if you fail at one, that does not mean you are going to fail at the other, right? Constantly keep asking people for money, whether you have a project or not. Give them an example. Give them a, a scenario, right? It doesn't have to be a deal. Um, it just has to be a scenario and it has to make sense. You have to understand that people are sophisticated today. The internet has opened up so many eyes, especially in the, in the multifamily space. You have so many gurus today um, that, do, that spend millions of dollars on paid advertising doing your work for you. Literally, they are doing your work for you. I may not invest with the guru that I see online, right? But I may invest with a friend of mine who I trust, who's next to me, who's preaching the exact same business model, and I've understood it from the guru. Yep. You would be yep. surprised how many people click on these people's pages, the people who spend millions of dollars online, and go through the entire process and the education, but never invest with them. Just because that trust element, that comfort element is not there. However, if I had a friend of mine who I know, you know, who's in the same space, who, who invests in Houston, Texas, I would definitely invest with them because I trust the product. I know exactly where the money is going. The money is not going online in the cloud somewhere, and then I have no control over it. The money is actually going in this deal, and, you know, that is where it's going. So do not stop raising money, even if you have to do it at a scenario basis. At the same time, do not stop looking at deals. Reach out to brokers. Put out LOIs. LOIs, by the way, a letter of intent to purchase real estate 
is a non-binding document. It does not mean anything. Not only does it not mean anything, it could it it also does not mean that you're going to buy that property. What you're doing is you're just placing your name with the hundreds of other names in some some cases, um, so that the broker is familiar. Next time he sees an LOI from Gracebeard Capital, he knows. Hey, you know what? I think this guy sent an LOI. Yeah, I think yep. I think this guy sent an LOI in the past. Let me take a look. Oh, you know what? This person's actually sent me thirty LOIs. Let me take a look at what he's doing. Yep. Right, and then have a website. And send, send out hundreds of LOIs, thousands of LOIs if you could, right? I mean, what is, I could scan LoopNet today and look at every multifamily asset in the country and send out an LOI. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you build street cred, you build some type of reputation, you build some type of authority the next time um, you get an opportunity to really invest and you're ready. So, so, you know, when it comes to raising money, do not stop raising money from individuals. At the same time, do not stop looking for deals, right? They are not intertwined. And if I, if I were to go back in time and, tell, and advise myself on this one thing, um, this is the thing I would tell myself uh, because I know that this has been my biggest struggle, my biggest hurdle so far. It's like, I don't have the money. I'm going to stop looking at deals. It just, it doesn't work that way. Hamza, I mean, it's some awesome value right there, right? It's just really simple stuff, but so what people don't do, and and I see it both ways. I see people that are like, they're afraid to raise that money or whatever. And I see some people that are also thinking, it's easy. Well, you, you said it yourself. You thought, oh, this is going to be easy. Like I can raise a couple million dollars. I know a bunch of people from, from Dubai. And then you dig in, you go, oh my gosh, like I can't. I can't. That would be crazy. I can't really do that. There's a lot of people that go, oh, you know, I'm a doctor. I know a ton of people. Or I know a bunch of wealthy people. Like, this is going to be easy for me to do. And so they don't put any effort into it. They don't go out and they don't actively actively work on raising money. And all of a sudden, they got no money for their, for their deal if it ever comes mm-hmm. up. And then same thing, like, put that, this putting your LOI uh, out there on these properties, that's gold pure gold right there. So anybody listening who wants to do this business, whereas doing this business isn't like having success. Are you putting LOIs out there? Because if you're not, the brokers don't know who you are. And, and if you're talking with these brokers and you're never seeing an LOI from you, guess what? They don't care about you anymore. Like they might be thinking, okay, this guy might be a buyer, but if you go months and months and months and you never write an LOI, you're not a buyer to them. You're just a guy who takes up their time or a gal who takes up their time. You've got to be putting in the LOIs. And then they start giving that name recognition. It's just beautiful advice and so easy, something everybody can do. I love it. Hi, I'm Matt Jones. And if you're like me, you're looking to grow your real estate business while connecting with others. There's this incredible new virtual experience unlike any other. I'm talking about the North Star Real Estate Conference. It's coming to you online this October 22nd and 23rd. And it's not like one of those boring webinars you find all the time out there. No, this is going to be interactive. You're going to have the opportunity to network and grow relationships with not only the other attendees, but with the speakers as well. So you can sign up today online at nreconference.com and use the code DEX, D-E-X, for $50 off. Let's talk about, you've talked about the success, right? You've talked about how you've gotten started. You've talked about a couple of your deals. Let's talk about some stumbling blocks. What's a, what's a mistake that you've made? And how have you learned from it? How have you grown from that mistake? Sure. Uh, I still make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> <We all do. laughs> 
So, but I'll give you um, the one mistake that I made when I started out. Um, the big mistake, right? So you remember that 24 unit apartment community we were talking about? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so I, so you know, I was, I was new. Uh, I was new to America, right? I was not, I, I was new to business, of course, but I was new to the entire country. Yeah. And I, and I really didn't know what due diligence meant, mm-hmm. right? Due diligence, what's due diligence? I mean, the broker told me that this is what the property is making. I mean, I can see it on his brochure. Why would the broker, you know, not be accurate? That information has to be accurate, <laughs> right? And so I was like, wow, this is such a good deal on paper. Uh, and then I realized, uh, you know, that due diligence actually is a process yeah. and you need, to, <laughs> you need to, you need to really, really dive deep uh, when you are doing due diligence, not only on that individual property, but also on the neighborhood, yeah. clientele, mm-hmm. what's close to it. You know, there needs to be an entire process that you need to go through, which I was completely unaware of. And I'm surprised mm-hmm. actually, now that I look back and think about it, I'm surprised the bank actually gave me money. Um, for, for that loan, um, had, you know, cause, on I mean, <laughs> yeah, cause I mean, you know, with the larger deals now, um, there's a lot of uh, checks and balances in yeah. place that I feel that they, there are, that are not there for the smaller deals for, for, so for anybody who's getting started, um, you need to go through that process entirely on your own independent of the bank. Um, for yeah. the larger deals, once you start hitting Fannie Mae, uh, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, um, they'll come in pretty pretty tough you know they hire one of the one of the top uh, firms in the nation to do all their due diligence for him and in fact it's very interesting uh, that we talk about due diligence because I have the same name as a very famous Pakistani actor I'm not from Pakistan um, but I have a my name is very similar and this comes up every time I want to buy a property they're like are you um, this person and uh, and I have to go ahead and tell them and show them him because he's in movies. He's like a movie star, right? He's an A-list actor, right? So he's all like, you know, beautiful hair, beautiful <laughs> height, and I and I take a snapshot of my face and I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I don't think there's a resemblance there. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> so that is the that is the depth of the due diligence that they will go into, right? But with the smaller deals, smaller banks, obviously that's not the case. Please, if I can give you uh, my biggest mistake, it is do due diligence. Do not rely on your broker's package. Your broker's package is extremely inefficient and inaccurate and out there to sell you the deal. They need to close, right? So you have to remember that. Uh, No offense to any brokers. There's a lot of brokers in town that I talk to. This is just the way the industry, the multifamily space has been set up. It is always set up to show you a performer, the future uh, forecast. And, and that is the way it's going to remain. Nothing's going to change. So if I go out there and I start shouting and yelling that, hey, this doesn't need to be the case. You need to show me existing numbers. Nobody's really going to do that because everybody wants to sell a deal. Um, and in fact, when I want to sell a deal, guess what's going to happen? My numbers are going to be all performer driven as well. So I may, I may be shouting on the buying side, but then when it comes to the selling side, I'm, you know, you're going to do the same thing. Exactly. So uh, broker's package, very important. Due diligence, extremely important, oh, especially so important. if you are going with agency debt and bank debt. Yeah, yeah, so so important. And I'm, I'm glad you said that a lot of people brush over that. And, you know, I've probably done it myself where I haven't paid enough attention to some of those fine details. And then you get caught and man, it can cost you a lot of money, some of those mistakes. And it sounds like that deal ended up working out well in the end but it doesn't always work that way. And, you know, you were lucky to have a a market that was rising the boats. 
Um, but man, can you imagine if you have the opposite, that property maybe would be a totally different story. So um, you've got some cool stuff you kind of that you're, you're doing. Let's talk about some of that stuff. So first, uh, you're doing a, a, a reggae plus kind of tell me about that. Tell me why you're doing it and uh, what, what your focus is there. Yeah. So previous funds, 506Cs, typical to every, um, typical to syndications of this size and this nature with real so, estate so just investing. Real quick, 506C for those who don't know is just basically a way you can raise money for a deal on a specific deal typically. And it's, you can actually publicly advertise on that um, for accredited investors only. Correct. So it's accredited investors only. And, uh, and so, and so I, I, I got into thinking, what is the future of real estate? Where is real estate going? I mean, the market has just not been disrupted in such a long time. It is about time um, that people start uh, looking at ways not to disrupt, but to make it easier for people to invest in real mm. estate. And of course, with the 506Cs, a lot of syndicators will have a minimum. That minimum will either be 150, 50, so 150,000, 50,000, 25,000, 20,000, you know, whatever uh, the minimums in each geographic territory are. Of course, in LA, you'll probably see them a little higher. In Houston, Texas, they may be a little lower, those minimums, um, just so that people, accredited investors um, can choose to opt in or to invest in these types of deals. Um, with, the recent, um, with the recent direction and with the recent uh, kind of trend with the Reggae Plus, basically we can go after accredited, non-accredited. Um, I don't like using the word crowdfunding because I don't think that's what it is. I like to use the term micro-investing because that is what I would do. I would micro-invest in a deal um, if I thought that the sponsor was credible and the deal was a good deal and it made sense to me, I would micro-invest in it. And when I say micro-invest, that could be as low as $5,000 or it could be even as low as $1,000, right? Um, I, I really see the future of real estate investing, especially with the Gen Zs coming into play and everything being mobile and easy. Um, I, I don't see Gen Zs becoming owner-operator uh, type people. Yeah. Um, now, of course, there will be a lot of owner operators. Um, I, I just, the way I look at it, I feel like Gen Z is very fast paced. They learn very quickly and they're in and out of things um, in a blink, in a heartbeat, right? Um, today, it could be Facebook, tomorrow it's Instagram, um, yep. the day after it's TikTok, right? Um, and they catch trends very quickly and they, and they uh, build skill sets in every trend that they then move forward to the next trend. So, mm. you know, as you know, video is very popular. If you go and look at any Gen Z specific application right now, um, video is where it's at. Everybody is stimulated by video. Images yep. no longer are working, which is why if you, if you notice, um, Instagram is losing traction, whereas TikTok is now becoming like the number one social media app. Instagram is trying to now catch up to them by, you know, they're gonna release a new thing August 1st where it's going to be very similar to these platforms. Now, point being, I th so I think they make uh, technology-driven, um, smart decisions, but I also think that um, they believe in ease of investment versus size of investment. So I think a Gen Z could have the same amount of money as a millennial or a, Gen or a baby boomer. I just think the way they would want to place that money um, the way they would want to allocate those funds would be a little different. I, th I, I do see them investing a little bit of that into crypto, 
a little bit of that into the public markets, and a little bit of that into what I'd like to call flexible real estate micro-investments. And that is kind of uh, what my uh, reggae filing is working towards. So we're working towards um, being able to uh, take investments as low as $1,000 into the fund. And that would mean, I think, reggae plus funds tier ones are like $50 million. Uh, that's the raise. Yeah. Uh, and so that would be 50,000 investors, right? Each one at 1000 bucks, or whatever, right. or, you know, or whatever it is. Now, yeah. the thing is, with the correct marketing, with the correct technology, I think that's easily doable. I don't think that'll be, uh, yeah. I don't think that will be a concern. The thing is, is that in the real estate space, this is very new. Uh, I think micro investing is still fairly new. There are a few people who have done it successfully, yep. uh, but I think I could, you could count them probably on your fingers. I don't think there's that many people who have uh, done that um, in the real estate space. I also think that the Reggae Plus filing, the reason for me personally to do a Reggae filing is that it does open up the door to an IPO eventually. So via Reggae, you do have the opportunity to actually uh, become a publicly traded company, which I think is an amazing, it's a fascinating vehicle. Can you imagine what going public historically must have been like without the Reg A plus, you know, with the broker dealers, with your RAs, with, with all these individual components, there's your attorneys, all these things that you have yeah. to bring together at such a cost, right? There is no one person who could have probably IPO'd a company or they would have to have been very sophisticated and had experience in IPOing other businesses before they IPO'd their own. Now with the Reg A plus vehicle, I feel like it is just fairly, it has become anybody could IPO on their own um, without having, you know, in, if you're in the tech space, without having VCs, if you're in the real estate space, without having private equity involved, it is just a vehicle um, that has been placed there for you to be able to IPO, which I think is phenomenal on its own. That's a whole different discussion yeah. <laughs> on its own. Uh, really, really cool. And, and, and so it's a fund, right? So you can buy multiple pieces of real estate with that, that you're uh, going about. And I, I think that's really interesting. Now, some of the things like, I think people and myself included, you go, well, geez, you're going to have that many investors. How do you keep track of them? How do you communicate with them? Like how many K1s do you have to send out? How many K1s? Is it worth it? Does it make sense? What's going through your brain in that process? What are some of the maybe, ah, uh, maybe it's not worth it or yeah, I can get by this pretty easily because. Yeah. So when I say the minimum is $1,000, first of all, your hope is that not everybody's investing $1,000. Yeah, for you, so, sure. Yeah, because <laughs> that would be a lot of K-1s. Uh, 50,000 yeah. K-1s, I think, would be. And for those of you who are listening, K-1s are basic, basically documents that a general partner like myself would have to send out every yep. year in order to justify the income and the expenses. Hopefully, there's a lot of depreciation on yours if you guys have them. <laughs> if not, then... Gossing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Um, the idea behind it, what is the idea behind it, right? Um, I don't think, just like, remember when I told you that first investment I made, I don't think I really made that much money. I don't think I would made the money that I was hoping to make. Yeah. Um, I think if you go in with that mindset into a, a, a larger sized venture, where I don't think, I don't think I'm trying to uh, justify uh, income at this point. Um, I think it is more trying to find a viable product that works for people and allows them to micro invest. Can you imagine if somebody told you, Hey, I'm a partner in a thousand units. Oh, that's awesome. How much did you invest? 
It's like $10,000, right? But for $10,000, they got access to invest in, they got to diversify basically. Yeah. I mean, into like a thousand doors. That's like amazing. It's like, how do you even, do, that's unheard of, right? Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I find a Gen Z 10 years from now, whether it's with my tech, you know, my platform or somebody else's platform, I think everybody's going to jump on this bandwagon yeah. as soon as, you know, we have a few, uh, as soon as we have a few success stories. And I really don't think it would be strange to hear a Gen Z uh, who would still be in their late twenties at that point and be like, yeah, I'm a partner in 30,000 units. And you'd be yeah. like, wow, you know, how much has this person invested? And then you come to find out it's like 30 grand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he still, or she still has diversified. Um, and I think that is really um, the, the goal that I am entering this. That is the vision that I have in entering this fund. I, uh, I think that would be a really cool concept, right? Yeah. Now, as far as uh, managing- tradable too. Exactly, exactly. LP interest is absolutely, yes. That is, some, that, that is also something that we can dive into. Uh, uh, but that's going to be a long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be totally different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but as far as platforms, I do believe that there are a lot of platforms existing out there um, that mm -hmm. automate about 90% of the process. Yeah. If you have the right people in place um, in your business, or if you are the right person um, taking care of your, of your uh, email marketing, uh, drip campaigns, uh, reporting, audit. Like I know these words sound complicated and, it seems like, oh my God, how am I going to do all that? But I feel like in the end, you, you know, with enough time, people can definitely do handle all those tasks if, if their mind is really in it, yeah. right? Um, for me, I know that there's tasks that I'm really good at. Um, and I know that there's tasks that I'm really bad at. And I, I compensate, right? I have people uh, who, I, uh, who I will hand over the tasks that I'm really bad at. And so where I'm getting at with this is I'm really bad at technology and implementing the processes that I need in order to communicate with everybody. I'm very good at communicating. I can pick up the phone and call people all day. I have no problem doing that. But when it comes to sitting behind the computer and figuring out which email needs to go to which investor for which deal um, and whether that investor is invested in more than one deal or not, you know, all this is now automated. Um, all you need to do is click a few buttons and there you go. It happens. Um, so I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't worry about too much about uh, reporting or how to like systematically process every investor that you have. Uh, I think that's a fairly simple process, and there's plenty of CRMs or investment softwares that do that for you. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that leads into the uh, the VAs, right? You you're working with a lot of VAs. Um, yep. Certainly, they're likely a part of some of that stuff too. Uh, but you're working with VAs to use them for multifamily property management. I don't know if you want to dive into that. We're, we are running out of time. So maybe real quick dive into that and then we can wrap up. Yeah. Um, so I hire, I, I hired my first VA. I realized that, wow, man, they have a really good skill set. And the reason yeah. is, believe it or not, they're backend support for Fortune 100 companies. Fortune 100 companies, man, like that is amazing. You have a person on your team who is trained by Fortune 100 companies um, to be their back-end support. Can you imagine the amount of tools and the amount of information and system and processes that this person has in place just because of prior training? Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so the first VA I hired had that experience, decided that, wow, this is so good. These guys come with an arsenal of tools. I can definitely use them to like systematically do everything for me. Um, I hired 16 more 
And now <laughs> I have virtual assistants. <laughs> I have virtual assistants who manage virtual assistants. Like literally, I have a hierarchy. So if you look at the business chart, the org chart, you know, is what they call it. You will notice that the org chart is now it consists of like 30 people, and half of them are in a different color. And those people, like you know, I'll have green and blue. And the blues are all VAs. They're all remote. And I think that is the future, really, of business. Yeah. Of course, there's tasks that you can't outsource. Um, there's sensitive data that can't leave the office. You know, there's a lot of things that you can't get by. Those have to be done here in the U.S. So, of course, we do hire uh, locally for that. But there's uh, tasks that are very repetitive, very easy to do, basic, you know, that type of thing, um, process-related. Um, you can give all of that away to VAs and not have to worry about it because they are trained Man, they're like computer ninjas, you know? It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing what they can do. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. I mean, anybody's looking at expanding, you have to look into VAs, what they can do. Um, and, man, they come at so affordable uh, at times. And so, yeah, it's definitely worth looking into and digging in. So I got a couple last questions before we wrap up. And uh, I want to ask you, what's your favorite book that you can recommend to our listeners? I, I do read a lot. Um, I am reading a book. It's called, uh, it's by Tim Ferriss. It's called Tool for Tribes or Tools. Yeah, Tools of Tribes, I think. Um, and it is a very large book and he interviews 300 people, including uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor of California and a couple of other people. And basically what it does, this book, why I'm so fascinated by it is it gives you hacks. It gives you life hacks like how to make things easier. So whether you're looking um, at personal health, personal wealth, well-being, uh, meditation, keto, yoga, CrossFit, uh, running your next marathon, um, he, he basically, out of his podcast, I believe these are snippets out of his podcast, and he, he just talks uh, about hacking life and making things easier. And believe it or not, I, I, uh, it's called Tools, for titans there you go yep. that's what it's called yeah 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 so um and i just think some of the stuff he says uh or they, they talk about is fascinating you know like which supplement to take if you are trying to bulk up versus if you are trying to shred you know and he'll <laughs> he'll talk to like a triathlete who lives at sixteen thousand uh, feet of elevation and you know practices this and does that but he'll give you the exact grand and uh, you know price and so you 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 walk out of that book with a lot of takeaways yeah right um and so um that's a book that i've recently been fascinated with and i'm 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 actually reading it as we speak uh and every day just learn something new you know and that's cool. amazing yeah definitely um so last question what are your three pillars of wealth creation three pillars of wealth creation Surround yourself with the right people is number. That would be all three pillars, by the way, if I could put that much, if I could put that much uh, emphasis on that, please, please surround yourself with the right people. It will accelerate your growth um, and your knowledge pool so quickly. And you can always ask them for help and they are always there to help. Um, that is one thing I love about the American society. I have yet to be turned down by somebody who has told me I don't have enough time for you. Right. So surround yourself with the right people build relationships that would be my second pillar um my my close rate today is nine out of ten so i am building wealth right um, and all that wealth has been created because of the trust that people have put in me 
And the reason for that trust is because I build a relationship first. I'm not looking to close a deal. I'm always looking to build a relationship. And that is what I truly value. Um, third pillar is have fun. All right. if, you are all, if you are all in, please have fun doing it. Yeah. Uh, I think having fun uh, will, will not put you into business fatigue. Uh, when you get hit by negative news, you're still okay. You know, you're enjoying it. You're there for the ride. Uh, real estate is a long-term business. Mm-hmm. Um, you will rarely find people who are, uh, who are, you know, in the business short term and the people who are in the business tend to stay there for 30 or 40 years. Yep. It's very common in the real estate space. So have fun, you know, yep. three pillars. I love it. You're, you're, you're definitely going to get smacked around a bit, uh, doing this business <laughs> in any business. You're going to get smacked yeah. around a bit. And if you're not having fun, man, it's just, you're, it's going to be depressing. You're going to get out of it. You're not going to have any, you're not, you're not going to make any money. So, um, how do, how do people get in touch with you? They want to learn more about you. Um, htownhamza.com. That's my website. And um, of course my, my company website is gracebeardcapital.com. But if you want to get in touch with me directly, the fastest way would be through my website, htownhamza.com. I have a, uh, a, uh, a form that you can fill out there on one of the pages and that's it. Awesome. It goes directly into my personal email and I respond in, uh, you know, less than 24 hours. <laughs> Same time. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure having you. The wealth of knowledge really enjoyed uh, speaking with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Todd. This was great, man. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Have a fantastic rest of the day. You too. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.